Welcome to episode 45 of the Smash Accept Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at Dynasty underscore DadFF. And today, you know, it's back by popular demand. I know episode two, way back in the day when we first started this thing, was how to properly, you know, rebuild your Dynasty team. And now we're, we're labeling it how to rebuild your Dynasty team into a Smash contender. Um, this was one where one of our most popular episodes, it's still is to this day. People listen to it. I went on several different podcasts to talk about, you know, this seven step process of how to really take your team and rebuild it the proper way. And I feel like a lot of people struggle with rebuilding, retooling, how to make these trades. And my co-host tonight is Mung. We're going to talk about things. We're going to really break it down and show you guys how to make that team, you know, into that contender that you really want it to be. Mung, how are you doing tonight? Good. I'm excited to talk about it. Uh, you know, it's. I know we all want to win now all the time, but that's simply not realistic. So uh, certainly a lot of important information that we're going to cover tonight. And then, uh, you know, I've always got stuff going on over at Fantrax. Uh, if you check in tomorrow, I'm going to have an article up about the best bets to make uh, for the win- the team that will win Super Bowl uh, 56. Are we on, I think? 56. Um, so I, I did, uh, I wrote an article about the Bucks last off season and, uh, that turned out okay. So I'm going to give you my favorite picks for this coming season. And uh, as always, you guys can find us on Twitter. I'm at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. Then you won that sexy Tom Brady autograph helmet. Whoever wins it this year in your predictions, I'm, I'm guessing another helmet's coming your way. You know, that thing. <laughs> That thing is awesome. Um, so tonight, what we really wanted to talk about, and and this is how I do it every year, is uh, last year, you know, we talk about it all the time that I that I was in nine of eleven championships, and you know, or, and now we look into these rosters and we're like, what do we do with them, right? You got to take a solid look, take a step back, and see what's going on. And in dynasty, you know, my mentality is always be just like Ricky Bobby. You know, if you ain't first, you're last. You want to be in that top three or bottom three, you know, the area to avoid is always being rounds, you know, in those teams four through eight. And I feel like early on in my dynasty, you know, dynasty life playing the game, I was always trying to do whatever I could to just hold on. Right. Like, Hey, I I made the playoffs. I'm, I'm, I'm right there. Right. So I'm going to trade my first round pick next year to stay in that contention and then do it again and do it again and start trading assets. And then the next thing, you know, you turn around and your team is filled with nothing but 30 year old wide receivers, you know, running backs on their last leg. And and now you're in a spot where you're like, now what do I do? You know, and we want to assess our rosters. I know that's something I do every year. I literally write down everything that's going on. And when you recess, assess your rosters, we're looking at should you should you keep contending? Should you rebuild or should you retool? So to me, the biggest like misconception when you look at things in the dynasty community and we talk about trades is the the terms retool and rebuild. You know, retool for me means you might have won the title last year. You're getting a little older. Now it's time to make a, a youth move. You know, rebuild that takes a full two years. You know, I feel like people mix those two terms up. Um, Monk, how do you break down your rosters? I mean. Or do you do it similar where when we get to the off season, we got to take a step back and really assess our teams and see what's going on? Yeah, well, I think the first most important thing to do, um, there's a philosophy. I remember we were having a, a drunk conversation between myself and one of my good friends in college at the time. Uh, his name is Alex Shoutouts. Uh, but basically what he was saying was one of the words of wisdom that I've kept with me is that in life, It's not so much, you know, it's not so important what path you're choosing. It's how confidently you're going down that path and what, you know, you're committing to whatever it is you're doing, right? And that applies to dynasty football as well. Because the worst thing that you want to do is, like you said, be a middling team year after year, where one, you're not giving yourself younger assets that you can one flip for profit or really build a roster around. And two, you know, you're not making, you're not placing into the top three or winning any leagues where you're getting that money back to pay future dues. 
So that's the area that you don't want to be in. So when you're evaluating those rosters, personally, I like to have a mix of contending and rebuilding teams in my portfolio of dynasty teams. Uh, I don't intentionally go for that, but it just so seems that it works out that about half of my teams are contenders where uh, I think I had three of my leagues last year where I either placed and two, I won the championship in. And then the other two, I, I was kind of rebuilding and collecting assets like Dak Prescott and guys who are hurt who can help me build a, a really good roster for the future. So it's good to have a good balance. And then it's important that no matter how you're evaluating your roster, you commit to that direction once you go down that path. I think you might have the same show sheet as me because commit is a word that's in here quite a bit. You know, it's really, there's even one of our steps that really forces you to commit into that. And you're right. I mean, a lot of times in Dynasty, we're all talking about win. You know, we all, we want to win, but it's just as much fun rebuilding. It's just as much fun retooling those teams. And I've, I've had two that I've been rebuilding over the last two years that are absolute juggernauts now, you know, and now I'm going to start taking some of these other ones and breaking them down a little bit and rebuilding them. So in a couple of years, you know, you always have that two to three year window where you can dominate, you know, and, and then you're going to have to change it up again. You're going to get smart. Um, some ideas of like retooling, you know, some moves that I made on teams where recently, you know, I traded Devonte Adams, Mark Andrews and Cam Newton in a 10 team super flex for Darren Waller, the one Oh three and a 22 first. So again, that guy was hungry to win. I'm like, let me get some young assets You'll hate me because I took Najee Harris at 103 because I want to win right away. You know, I'm retooling, but not completely. And then I got that early 22 first. You know, you make some moves like that. You make some insulated trades like you and I talk about all the time. You know, and in 2020, I dealt DeAndre Hopkins for DK Metcalf in the 107 and an insulated deal, you know, where it was like he wanted the guy was on the on the clock. He's like, I don't see anything I really like here. I really want Hopkins. And I'm like, well, Metcalf at this point hasn't blown up, right? So then he gives me the 107 and Metcalf at 107. I take DeAndre Swift. I mean, those are that that's how you win. That's how you quickly take that team where, you know, you took DeAndre Hopkins, who's 29 years old or 28 years old, and you flipped him into DK Metcalf, who's, you know, 23. And then you get a an upside running back like DeAndre Swift. And that's really how you you quickly retool. But tonight, what we're going to talk about is rebuilding. So rebuilding is quick. Correctly done when it takes two years. Sometimes, you know, when you get a, a stud class like 2020, you can flip it in one year. But for the most part, we're looking at a two year window where patience is absolutely key. You know, a lot of times people are sending me messages Hey, dad, you know, I'm trying to rebuild this team. Should, should I go buy Christian McCaffrey right now? No, no. Like, wait until you're ready. You know, I think a lot of people really try to aren't patient enough and they really try to jump into it mid rebuild. And then they take all those future assets and they spend them for players like Christian McCaffrey, who in two years, you know, is going to have a lot more tread on the tire. And we're already starting to see that value drop a little bit, Monk. Well, I, I, it kind of depends, right? Everything's situationally dependent because I have no issue with a rebuilding team acquiring a guy like Christian McCaffrey, excuse me, if your aim, if you're getting a discount and your aim is to then flip them for future picks or younger assets, because, you know, if someone's giving you McCaffrey for a first and a second, you're still not turning that down. Right. And maybe not all those deals are values like this, but, you know, a, a trade that we talked about on Twitter earlier today that you brought up before we started recording here um, was I think Jarvis Landry and Kenyon Drake for James Conner and a future second round pick. And I believe you're on the Landry and Drake side there. Is that right? I am because I feel like in season, and we're going to talk about this, you know, in, our, in one of our later steps, is those are assets that I can move right then and there. You know, the guys that I can move to some contenders. Because on the other side, you know, I think the, the pick was a 2023 second. And I think 2024, actually. <laughs> I'm not even going to be alive in 2024. But like James Conner is not a guy that I'm actively pursuing. You know, when I go out there and I pursue some of those kind of trades, you know, I would have wanted maybe in, in that kind of era, you know, I would have wanted maybe Chase Edmonds in a second or a young guy that I have some type of opportunity to increase in value. Yeah, and see, I'm actually on the other side of this deal because even though that second round pick is pretty far out, you know, that pick is something that is going to slowly grow in value over the next couple of years. And you're talking about players that you can potentially flip in season. Kenyon Drake's more of a handcuff, third down back, whatever you want to call him. 
for him to really have a buyer's market, we would need to see Josh Jacobs potentially miss time. And then with Jarvis Landry, you have a run-heavy offense. You've got Odell Beckham coming back healthy. Even when Landry was putting up, you know, like top 15 PPR numbers in Miami and early on, no one was paying a first for him. And at this point, you know, no one ever will pay a first for him. So best case scenario is you're getting a second round pick, which you're already getting in this deal. And to me, James Conner is the highest upside piece here because we know that he's had issues staying healthy. But if he does somehow stay healthy this year in Arizona, he has RB2 upside. And that's a guy that you might be able to get an early second, maybe even a late first for in season if you know he's put up four or five weeks of RB2, RB3 production. Yeah, I mean, when we're doing these kind of things, basically what we want to do is we want to eliminate risk as much as we can and have the highest opportunity for uh, to increase our rate of investment. You know, and we're let's let's just jump into this. Let's get it going. You know, and, and with some of the things, the first rebuild that I did. And this was a lot, one that we talked about in episode two was a buddy of mine calls me, you know, Jared from the Dynasty Refinery. He's like, hey, this guy just drafted the worst team I've ever seen and he refused to pay. And now I'm stuck. I got nothing. And when I say the worst team I've ever seen, listen to this, Mung. All right. So this is a 2019 draft. So just try to go back in a time portal here. So 106, he takes DeAndre Hopkins. All right. That's not bad, right? 207, he takes Russell Wilson. Well, it's a 12-team super flex and with points per carry. That's not bad. Then he trades his third and fourth round pick for the 208 and the 1008 and takes James Conner. And that's where it starts to go downhill, okay? Then he doesn't have a third round pick, doesn't have a fourth round pick. Fifth round, he decided he was, you know, don't ever drink and draft. That's all I got to say. Because he took Nikhil Harry in the fifth. He took Dallas Goddard in the sixth. Sammy Watkins in the seventh, Drew Locke in the eighth. Ooh, Drew Locke, yes. Tevin Coleman in the ninth, Trey Burton, Marquise Lee, and Josh Dotson. That team right there, most of those guys should be cut off your team. You know I mean? That is not the way to win in Dynasty. So I'm looking at this team and I'm like, bro, this, this is rough. Like, how am I going to do this? So I start, I start coming up and I start trying to conceptualize, like, how are we going to rebuild this thing? How am I going to make this work? So – what I had to do was first assess my team. And that's step one, this particular team. And the other one that I rebuilt was a team that we talked about this Hmong. I four years in a row, I made the playoffs. I lost round one and I just kept trying to hold on. Right. I would give a first round pick for, you know, an aging wide receiver who's going to be 30 years old, or I would give, you know, my first and my second for a running back and, and try to keep it in there. And I got to a point where my team, was Brady, Adams, Diggs, and nothing else. So step one is assessing our teams. First thing I look at is my core age, right? How old are my running backs? How old are my wide receivers? You know, what do my quarterback room look like? I look at positional needs. You know, what what is my depth chart? I might have a decent starting lineup, but do I have enough depth there where if anything happens, am I going to be in contention? Do I have my picks? You know, what type of picks are we looking at? I mean, now's that time of year where there's orphans everywhere and we see those teams that don't have picks are the teams that fold the quickest. And there's some other things to look at that MFL has some great tools like points possible, right? Where do I stack up if my team was playing every, every week? They also have all play schedule where we can look at if I played every team every week, what would I look like? You know, what kind of potential outcome can we have? And when you're assessing your team, these are huge things. I mean, we got to really look at where we're at. Do we want to move forward? Do we want to move back? And we already talked about that. Moving on to step two, this is one where you and I have debated this in in the past, but it's flat out, how do I lock up the 101, right? You cannot possibly rebuild correctly unless you get your 101. That is a straight path. And rule number one for me as as the Dynasty Dad rebuild is get your first round pick, right? If you don't, get your first round pick and you start making trades, teams are going to realize you're in a rebuild, right? Go get that first round pick, get it back if you don't have it. And that's that's paramount because if you don't have that 101, it makes this very difficult. It takes it even more time. You know, you're going to be able to do it. But think about what we've had in the past with the 101 with Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence, you get Trey Lance plus, you know, several years ago with Saquon Barkley. We've had Zeke in there. We've had guys where – that 101 can totally jumpstart your rebuild. 
Right. And, you know, that speaks as well to during the startup draft where I see a lot of teams throwing around future firsts, future seconds. Um, I've seen teams that trade, you know, a first, second, third and fourth to move up a few spots to get their guy. And that's fine. But in hindsight, you know, those picks are worth more generally if you're making separate deals for them. And once you do hold other teams firsts, it's important to look at them, uh, look at their rosters holistically. Right. Uh, for an ex- for example, in one of my leagues, I held another team's first round, and they were actively trying to get it back. So in my mind, you know, I'm trying to sniff out, you know, are you going to go into a rebuild because you have some good pieces, but I, d- I didn't think they were set up to win. And ultimately, because I kind of held that pick for ransom, and they weren't able to go in any direction without that pick, I got Allen Robinson and Dalvin Cook for that pick plus a couple small pieces. Yeah, so awesome. you have you have the leverage when you own these first round picks, um, because like you said, it, it's nearly impossible to rebuild. And in that same league where I've now created a very good team, I still have one other 2022 first. And that team has been trying to get it because their roster doesn't look very good. Um, so it's probably going to end up pretty early. So you want to identify the teams that you think are either weak or have some good pieces, but are probably going to need to start to rebuild soon. Um, so when whenever you're making those trades, sometimes people just click on, you know, oh, this team's first or you're first. Um, but really, whenever I'm making those trade offers, I'm looking through every single roster to see realistically where those teams might end up. Yeah, and you got to be smart about that. I mean, like I said, if, if you're trying to grab your first what I'm doing is I'm giving a slight overpay on a on a running back, and then I'm giving you a second for a lesser running back in my first and try to make it look like a real deal, right? Or pick up a wide receiver in that situation. Because if you're just like, hey, man, I want to get my first back, then something's up, right? All of a sudden, radar's up. You're not going to get it, you know, and you got to try to sneak it in there and you got to get that back. And that's that's the first one. And with that, like you said, take the first. Package up and get the first. They don't have to be 2021 first. They don't even have to be 2022 first. Sometimes people are really willing to give up that 2023 first, which we know looks like another really good class, but that's one where people several years out are willing to do that a lot more, you know, a lot less reluctantly. They're willing to throw those picks in there. But again, don't announce that you're doing a rebuild. Do not say, hey, fire sale kind of thing. Wait till you get your first and then let's start playing around with it. So knowing how your league is set up, and this is the part that you and I have talked about in the past, is check how you get the 101, right? It's totally different if it's a toilet bowl, you know, where there's teams where the bottom six teams have a playoff bracket to see who gets the 101. Or if it's the worst record, which I absolutely hate because, you know, you get a lot of teams that intentionally sit players. And then there's the one that I like that is points possible, you know, and this is like a whole other episode we could do. But it's like, for me, you have to know what that is. And a lot of times people get into leagues and they don't pay attention until it's time to draft. And you're like, oh, how do we how do we associate the 101? What do the picks look like? You know, and, and to me, that's a very important thing, because if it's the toilet bowl, you still got to win those games. So to get that 101, your team might be OK for that particular spot. If it's the worst record, you know, you're going to want to kind of create yourself a positional void. If it's points possible, you want to get rid of those bench points. You know, I mean, my first year in a points possible league, I had the worst team, but my bench was solid. And I went from getting Saquon Barkley at 101 to getting Baker Mayfield at 102. Huge difference, right? I mean, if I had an opportunity to get Saquon, I could have sold that for a King's Ransom. We're at the 102, you know, Baker kind of pigeonholed what you were going to be able to do in that situation. So, um, Monk, how are most of your leagues set up? And like, I know that I'm going to give you a little platform of how you like to do those things because we've talked about it in the past. You know, tanking creates animosity in leagues. And when I say tanking versus positional void, you know, that's what I'm going to talk about here. But tanking where I played with a guy who sat Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill weeks 12, 13, and 14 just so we would miss the playoffs and get that 101 pick. Yeah, and I don't, I don't actually have any notes prepared for this show, so I apologize in advance if I'm rambling. But there are a few different thoughts that come to mind uh, to respond to what you just said. And number one is I see a lot of you know Twitter posts where it says like, "Hey, I'm starting up um, this dynasty league. Who wants to join?" 
And that really scares me because I don't want to join any league because having a good commissioner is incredibly important for any league. Um, you want to make sure that that commissioner is one on top of payments, um, two on top of creating, you know, very good bylaws. You always want to have a specific set of bylaws that dictate exactly what the rule is for every single scenario, right? Um, for example, tanking. So in one of my leagues, the only league that I'm the commissioner for, I wrote a very specific set of bylaws. And I don't personally like uh, the potential points rule because, like you said, you can have random guys like Andy Isabella or Keelan Cole or those bench running backs who go off and then they kind of screw up the order of a rookie draft for a team that really is bad and deserves the 101, but they just had a couple of unlucky weeks. Uh, so for me, I just the way I have my bylaws set up, I say that every team must must um, set their best possible lineup each week. And that doesn't apply to taxi squads or, you know, if you happen to have all your quarterbacks on by one week, then, hey, uh, good luck to that team getting a, a free win. But, you know, basically it requires the commissioner to be very on top of things. So that's why I'm always very hesitant to join those random leagues. I'd like to get an idea of who I'm joining with um, you know, how capable that commissioner is because we've seen stories on Twitter of leagues that fold after the startup immediately. And it was a waste of a week because, you know, you had guys who just left or were trying to collude, whatever it was, or had poorly written bylaws that led to, you know, a big argument among league members, right? Um, so you always want to have one, a good commissioner, to some idea of the people that you're playing with. And, I, and I've joined random leagues with, you know, our listener league. Obviously, we don't know all those guys, but just in general where you have some sense of direction, not only for your dynasty team, but for your dynasty league, right? You don't want that league to fold if you rebuild in the first year and then you realize that it was a crappy league and no one cares anymore after year one. Um, yeah, and that's why sorry, a lot you know, of rambling there. No, no, out of out of my leagues right now. I mean, I've cut it down to thirteen. I said fifteen before. Eleven of them, I'm the commissioner. The other one, you know, Izzy's a commissioner. The other one, and they're all like people that I respect in the community and people that I know that are gonna, you know, uphold the league rules and kind of do those things. So that's definitely something important. Just realizing how that is, you know, the for me, what I try to do is create positional deficiencies right so i i might not have a strong running back core in the particular league that is in question you know i was starting guys that shouldn't be started you know naheem hines who ended up being really good but then guys like naheem hines and boston scott and guys that might put up three or four points you know that are going to give you a more of a need at that position because what we're going to talk about new next is step three it's it's roster construction so what i try to do in my rebuilds is I build that team around young wide receivers, around young quarterbacks. And the reason I do that is because where's the easiest place to get a running back? It's in the draft, you know, right? You grow that organically. But if we're talking about a two-year window, we need those wide receivers to be on the field. We need them to be fantastic and in their prime because we draft those running backs. And it, it's changed a little bit because over the last, you know, maybe two years, three years, wide receivers are hitting right off the bat. But I like to, to build my roster construction when I do these things with a young core of wide receivers, young core quarterbacks, and pick up the tight ends and the running backs as that last piece of the puzzle. So start to look at your teams and, and start to make some trade targets to build that nucleus of stud quarterbacks or wide receivers. That'll be your centerpiece, i.e. the the A.J. Browns, the, the Jamar Chase, the D.K. Metcalf. Ideally, those wide receivers that are in that 22 to 26 range, because by the time you're ready to compete in two years, they're going to be in that prime stage where those guys are going to ball out. and Those guys are going to help you win championships. Um, Monk. How do you like to break those things down? I mean, if you're rebuilding a team, do you care if it's wide receivers? Do you care if it's running backs? Are you just looking for age? How do you do look at that? Yeah, I don't think I'm quite as strict as you. I'm fine with grabbing running backs and tight ends because those can be the easiest pieces to flip. Um, those are the positions where it seems a lot of teams have holes, even if they are strong contenders, because they've been plugging in a guy and, you know, Dalvin Cook and Derrick Henry are carrying them to a five and two record. But then they've been rotating guys like, you know, Mo Ali Cox last year who flashed here and there. Uh, guys like Johnu Smith who they had hopes for but just didn't pan out. And then so if you grab a guy like Logan Thomas off the waiver wire, 
a Naeem Hines, like you said, you can flip those guys for second round picks to those contending teams. So for me, I mean, yes, if you're drafting, I would prioritize the young quarterbacks and wide receivers, but in general, I'll still trade for any player as long as I think that the value is there. But the key here is that you really have to shed that value quickly, right? So for example, uh, in my one league uh, where I was rebuilding year one last year, uh, it was the startup year. And I added guys like uh, Travis Fulgham off the waiver wire, Mike Davis off the waiver wire, um, Andy Dalton off the waiver wire. And those were all guys that I overbid for with my fab budget. I paid, I think, $30, $40 for you know, Mike Davis and Travis Fulgham, not because I necessarily believed in them long term, but because I saw all the hype on Twitter, on articles about those guys. So I knew that they were all guys that I could get a second round pick for. And I ended up turning those guys into second round picks. But you have to strike while the iron's hot. You have to flip Travis Fulgham before he flopped. You had to flip Mike Davis before he his workload eventually went down. You had to flip Andy Dalton because that Dak Prescott GM, you know, was in a panic. And then after a week or two, he would realize that Andy Dalton's not that great for fantasy, right? Your right. team's still kind of screwed if you're going from Dak Prescott to Andy Dalton. Um, so, you know, timing is really important. You need to make kind of capitalize on the leverage you have, you know, in that moment right after you get those guys off the waiver wire. Yeah, and that's that's step five, and I'm gonna hit on that one because that's actually my favorite one. But let's we're gonna move on to step four. So we got you know step three. We looked at the roster construction, how we want to build it. Now step four is the key that nobody really talks about, and it's a a coin term that I came up with. You know, it's just the the splash trade, right? Everybody wants to dip their toes and talk about they want to rebuild. They're thinking about rebuilding. I've made it where you make that splash trade. You make that move where it's like I am in a rebuild. I'm going heavy on this, you know, because I feel like when you just retool and you play with it, it, it's you're not making that commitment. Right. We're talking about I am committing to this rebuild. And in the two teams that I did that with that horrible team, I was able to require. So I had James Conner. That's the guy I want to get off my team. Right. An aging running back in 2019. I flipped James Conner and a 2022nd for two random 2021sts. Right. So at the time, he's like, hey, I'm getting a running back. And all I got to do is give up a first and downgrade to a second. So now we get to 2020. I knew that was going to be a fantastic class. That ended up being Justin Herbert and Justin Jefferson for James Conner and Dalton Keene. You know, that is a splash trade. That's how you move that thing from two, you know, an aging vet and a not so great rookie to two studs that are centerpieces for your team. For the other contender that I had, I had Devontae Adams. He was the only piece that I really had that was of any worth. You know, I had Devontae Adams and I had Stefan Diggs. So in, in 2019, late, I right in the playoff run, and you said it already, it's about finding that window. It's about finding that best value. You know, if I, I traded Devontae Adams in week 13, if I traded him in week 12, I wouldn't have got as much. But that guy gets to week 13. He's like, I'm in. I'm in the playoffs. Lock it up. Sure, I'll give you Calvin Ridley in two future first. Calvin Ridley hasn't broken out yet. Big mistake, right? Because that ends up being in that particular rebuild, end up being Calvin Ridley, Jerry Judy, and CeeDee Lamb. You know, now at that point, now I'm like, I've made the splash. I got rid of the aging vet. Now I'm ready to just bite into this thing. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, I listen to Dave Ramsey when it talks about, you know, debt snowballs. You get rid of, you're trying to get rid of your debt. You get that first trade. You know, and you just blow it up and then you just keep going and you want more and you want more. And it's like my rebuilds are some of my favorite teams, you know, like because I'm always trying to make trades and I'm always trying to trying to flip things. And that splash trade just puts you in a spot where it's like you got to be calculated with it. And that's where you come to Mung and I and you say, hey, you know, you guys do it on Twitter all the time. But you say, what should I do in this deal? Like, is this a deal I should make? Because that's not a deal where you trade Devontae Adams for you know, a random first and Michael Pittman, you know, we're talking about get a guy you believe in and then get some draft capital. Right. And we always break down the trades. You know, I do a lot of trade breakdowns on Twitter when I'm replying to questions and that's based purely on value. Um, But when, when tweets do provide more context, I know I've talked about this at length, so I won't, you know, kind of be a broken record here. But the more information you give us, the better we can help you with your trades, right? Uh, because sometimes it's fine to lose value on a trade. 
Uh, for example, a few years back when Mike Evans and Chris Godwin both got injured, I think it was week 12 and 13, heading into the fantasy playoffs, I paid a second round rookie pick for Brashad Perriman, who I didn't think had much long-term value. But for the foreseeable future, you know, he's a guy who helped lead me to a fantasy championship because you're overpaying in that moment, but it's worth it if you win the title. Week and obviously, 15, 16, he was a monster that year. Right. And obviously, I'm not saying, you know, go pay two firsts for a guy who's going to help you for a few weeks. Um, but obviously, the same principle applies to rebuilds, right? Sometimes, yeah, you want to get a second round pick for a player like, let's say, Naeem Hines, right? Um, if you are rebuilding last year. But if he's going to lose you the 101 because he's having some big weeks, I'd take a third round pick for him, right? The, him the, gap, yep. the gap there is not that big versus the gap between you finishing as the 101 in the rookie draft next year versus like the 104. Um, so don't be afraid to necessarily lose a little bit of value on trades. Again, this kind of goes to the general know the direction of your team, right? right. Because at the end money. of the day, those trades are kind of, you know, drops of drops in a bucket compared to the river of your rebuild, so to speak. So we're, we're out of that splash, you know, now we're moving into that river where you move the vets. This is the fun time, right? Cause it's step five and everybody's like, okay, he is all in, right? He's rebuilding. And, and you, that's when you can say, listen, guys, I'm rebuilding, you know, veterans are for sale. Come look, you know, we're not selling cheap. We're not just saying we're giving players away. You know, it's all about relative value, but this is the time where it's fun because everyone knows that you're willing to trade pieces, right? Everyone knows that they want to win. They're going to make those kind of moves and you can make some moves, whether it's bold, like in that year in 2019, I traded Christian Kirk, who was having a very solid year for a random first. And that random first, you know, also turned out to be Jerry Judy, you know, because people are willing to use those random first, take players like James Conner, like J.D. McKissick, like Mike Davis, who aren't going to be there in two years from now. You know, guys that in that particular you know league, I had Eli Manning as in Superflex, and he was retiring at the end of the year. Tra- packaged him in a fourth for a third. A lot of times you can just package pieces to move up in the draft. You know, you can take J.D. McKissick in a third last year, go get a second. Is J.D. McKissick worth a second? Absolutely not. But you're moving into a spot, you know, for that guy there, he was willing to pay that because McKissick was the RB 15 and he was jumping into that section. But like for me, dealing veterans and, and, and unloading that is just an awesome part of rebuild. And specifically you want to target, for example, injured players. Um, last year in my rebuilding league, I, I had Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes and Superflex, which was a great core. But Dak Prescott got hurt and immediately I sent offers for Josh Allen for Dak Prescott Plus, yeah. right? Um, because Josh Allen blowing up on my team is only going to cost me the 101, and I don't want that. Now, obviously, don't sell low on those guys, but to me it was the perfect pivot because I'm high on Dak Prescott, healthy heading into this year. Um, and I got, I think, an extra second-round pick and some other stuff along with Prescott. So, I'm simultaneously losing points to get that better uh, first round pick the following year, but I'm not tanking where I'm sitting guys. Right? Yeah, it's a it's a win win. I did the same thing right. last year. I had Deshaun Watson, and as soon as Dak got hurt, and I'm going to rebuild, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go get Dak in a first, and I'll give him Watson in a second. Right. You know, and, and it was like that's a win. I mean, obviously, I didn't know what was going to happen, but I know when Dak Prescott comes back, he's going to be legit. And there's situations where last year in the playoffs. I was on the flip side, right? Because I was that guy that wanted to win. And we all know that I was like all about that. And I traded Aaron Rodgers. I traded Joe Burrow for Aaron Rodgers in a second, you know, because I wanted to win. I did win. But now I'm like, dang, like Joe Burrow's on that guy's team, right? And I was on the flip side of it. If you're rebuilding and that guy goes down, go get him. You know, that 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 contending roster does not want to sit with Dak Prescott on their team for 10 weeks, as they're, right. as they're losing their playoff options. Yeah, and that same league, I, I don't remember which wide receiver it was now, but I ended up downgrading from an elite wide receiver. I think it – I don't think it was Diggs, but it was somebody. Um, and I, I got Mike Evans and Cortland Sutton. Now, Evans, you know, was costing me some points, but the rest of my roster was so bad that I wasn't worried about the one-on-one. Like, I was literally starting 
I think Eno Benjamin and Ty Montgomery as my two running backs. Yeah. Um, so like literally strip your roster bare down to the bones to guarantee that 101, uh, if at all possible. And, you know, it doesn't have to be injured players either, right? Deshaun Watson's a great example here. Everyone's nervous about how much he's going to play in 2021. And that's ideal for a rebuilding squad. That That's what you want. He's not going to be getting you points, but once he comes back, he's going to remain in that elite QB1 tier. And so that helps your rebuild. I get that question two or three times a week, Mung, and I feel like you and I are really shouting that from the rooftops. Not that we like Deshaun Watson, the person. We don't advocate any of that kind of stuff. But, I mean, as soon as he steps back on the football field, which is at late at the latest is the beginning of next year, he's a top five to eight quarterback again. You know, and people are like – they keep talking, hey, I want to rebuild. What quarterback should I be targeting? Should I go after Kyler Murray? No, go get cheaper versions. Go get Deshaun Watson. You know, when you're rebuilding, we're not talking about going out and buying the most expensive quarterback. We're talking about buying some value, taking that value. And when we get to this time of, time of year, we're trying to package up. We're trying to make those insulated trades, which I talk about all the time. In the one league, I ended up, you know, I, I moved off of Stefan Diggs for Calvin Ridley in a first. And then I traded Calvin Ridley for CeeDee Lamb in a first because people were hungry to win. And then you just keep cascading those deals. And what you took, what was originally player A, you turned that into player A, B, C, and D and some draft capital, you know, and it's all about just making packages, being savvy, strike while the iron's hot, you know, to in this particular league, I traded John Ross. You remember two years ago, John Ross had that week one where he looked phenomenal. I gave up John Ross and a, and a, and a second, for a first because the guy was like, this is it, right? He's going to break out. You got to just, I, no one else is going to do that trade again. You know, like that's not one that's there, but when a guy goes off trade for him, you know, give him up. And then if you don't believe in him, if it's a guy where you can give a second and get a first or give a third in him for a second. And you had a great point about playing the waiver wire. Sometimes people are like, yo, I didn't really check waivers this week. Cause I'm in a rebuild. Shame on you. You know, that is more your, your fab money right then and there means so much more block that guy from getting Mike Davis block that one one that guy who's going to win the league, go get that running back who might be the next thing, get that guy and trade him, get JD McKissick and trade him, you know, get Naheem Hines and trade him and use that capital. So you have a team like the team we're going to talk about in a little bit. So we just did the, the move the veterans. Anything else to add on that? I mean, I think those are all great points because people d- think they have to win every single trade. But sometimes it's just getting that off your roster and building a liquid team, right? Because if you have Mike Davis, who I love Mike Davis this year, right? I think he's a strong RB2 candidate. But the day he gets injured, he's worth nothing, right? He's literally going to be worth nothing to your team if you're a rebuild where if you trade him at the right time you know let's say he has a two touchdown game in 100 yards and you can flip him for something in a first you got to strike while the iron's hot because when you're in a rebuild running backs that are aging wide receivers like you know julio jones once those guys get injured their value just is decimated yeah and you know that applies to someone like james robinson too where he exceeded all expectations last year. And I I was wrong on him. I'll be the first to admit that because I was saying, you know, sell for a late first after a few weeks, but obviously he could have, you know, took you to a title. So sorry if you did, but if you were rebuilding and you did sell him for a late first, I mean, you still came out ahead because look at, you know, how quickly that value can shift. Whereas, you know, the safest assets are future rookie picks, right? Those only grow in value as the rookie draft nears, you're never going to take a loss on that. So yeah. that's the most, you know, you're talking about insulated trades. Future rookie picks are the most insulated uh, assets that are scheduled to grow and, you know, guaranteed to grow in value. Right. And that's why I talked about making it liquid, right? Making it a liquid asset, something that's that's there that's not going to lose any kind of value. That it's, you know, that rookie pick is not going to lose value. And you and I both answered a question today. Someone was like, Jalen Rager or a late first in my rookie draft next week. It's a late first, right? And then there was Jalen Rager or the 2022 first. If you're rebuilding, it's the 2022 first because there's that that pick is not going to lose value where you know we've seen a little bit up and down. And if you believe in Rager, that's a different story. But to me, I want surefire things like AJ Brown, like DK Metcalf, like Jamar Chase. And I want a little bit as risk as possible. So we've we've yeah. moved. Go ahead. 
No, I was just going to say, and yeah, but like, so I, I'm off Rager a little bit now with Smith there, and then we don't know about Hertz and how good he's going to be as a passer. But if I'm rebuilding, even for guys who I'm really high on, like Cortland Sutton and DJ Chark heading into 2021, I'd still consider selling those guys for a 2022 first because there's a chance that I might be wrong on them, yeah. right? Because I'm very high on Sutton and Shark, but that first I know is a safe asset. So in a rebuild, if I'm unsure about those guys, you know, I would prefer to wait until in season if they have a couple of big games to sell those guys because then maybe you get a first and a second or a first plus something. But if that's the offer you have now and you want to flip that first to something else, then, I, you know, again, don't be afraid to lose a little bit of value because the, fir- the future firsts are the safest assets you can hold. So now we've we've made that splash trade, right? We're ready to go. We, we move all of our assets, you know, like when you when uh, you have that running back who has a good week for for a change, package him up, get rid of it. Now, all of a sudden, we're looking at a roster that's got five first round picks, you know, and four second round picks. And the thing is very liquid. And we've moved our running backs. You know, we've moved off of Ezekiel Elliott, who I love on a contender team, but we moved off Ezekiel Elliott to go get Jamar Chase in the draft. You know, and we've done some things. Or, let's not say Jamar Chase, but Jerry Judy plus a bunch of picks and things like that. You know, we're, we're moving into those kind of guys. Now it's step six, right? And this is rookie prep with analysis. And that's why we had the offseason we did for you. I mean, Monk, there are, I can't think of many podcasts that had the guests that we had on during rookie prep. I mean, Angelo analysis, Chad Parsons, Katie flowers, Matt Hicks. I know I'm missing guys, but I mean, we literally had a star studded cast to come in and give you the best possible, you know, analysis when it came to rookie drafts and, and Mung and myself and John, we know rookies, but we wanted to get people even higher up. You know, Matt Waldman was on here. I mean, we had, we had studs on here, right? We had guys that just came on here and they blew my mind and they, they were giving you information. They were giving me information and it just helped to, I've never felt so prepared for my rookie draft. You know, 2020, I was super prepared and I thought, yeah, I got this. This year, the people we had on here and just no matter how good you are in this industry, you can always improve off of other people and have that dialogue. And we had the best around. Yeah, and sorry, I know I'm shooting off on all these tangents today, but uh, just another thought that popped to mind. You know, we talked to Katie and, you know, some of the other guys who know their Debbie stuff, who know about these future classes. And I am personally not a Debbie player, so I can't help you with those college prospects. Um, but I have had questions where they're saying, oh, I can sell this player and I can get a 2022 first or a 2023 first, right? The 2023 class is supposed to be very good. I don't care. I want that 2022 first because in a year, it doesn't matter how good that class is. We have, you know, hype that will elevate those players, right? People weren't that excited about Rashad Bateman, Elijah Moore and Rondale Moore, these guys who aren't these prototypical wide receivers, but it doesn't matter because we see a lot of people really excited about those prospects. So even if you think 2023 is a better class, you can sell that 2022 first next year when rookie draft hype and rookie fever is building for a 2023 first and a second probably. And I remember the trade that you're talking about because, like I said, you and I are about as active as it gets on Twitter when it comes to trades. And you you direct, you direct deflected it to Katie, which was awesome, you know, where we can do those things. And you just made me think of another thing is, like, always get that toss-in guy, right? Always, you know, we're doing this deal and, and he wants a player off your team and you're getting a first-round pick. Get them to throw in Paris Campbell. Get them to throw in Michael Pittman. You know, whoever your guy is, you know, whoever that that might be. Um, you know, some guys in the third round rookie drafts right now that are guys that, you know, they might have just had their rookie draft, but you're like, throw that guy in here. You know, there's a lot of upside pieces that you can get thrown into a deal that if they want to win, they're going to give it up, right? I mean, there's no one that's holding on to a Seth Williams or something like that because they don't think that's going to win their championship. They're going to They're going to add it in there. Yeah, and speaking of throw-ins, uh, shout out to Drew, I think, at DF Bean Counter on Twitter. I don't know if you follow him, but he's a super smart guy. He does a lot of videos on prospects. But I think he was saying that, you know, always get a throw-in of some fab dollars. Get like that $10 fab thrown into trade offers. And that's absolutely correct um, because no one's going to stop a deal that they like because of a few fab dollars. Yeah. Um, but though, but you know, when you have an extra five, $10 here and there from those little deals, 
you can outbid um, other teams for guys like Mike Davis and other running back handcuffs floating around who you can then flip for a second round pick. Now we're throwing nuggets out there, Mung. I mean, now we're just we're we're just dropping them out there. My man Riley, you know, at DTC underscore Riley B says, always get an extra third. And if they don't give you a third, give them a fourth for your third. You know, and just always try to just get that little bit. You know, we're not saying squeeze it so hard that you're like forcing the guy away from the trade, but people give up third round picks like candy. People give away fab dollars, people throw away players that might not have had a good year or two, you know, and those things are huge when it comes to the rebuild process. Yeah, and again, you know, project your picks accordingly, right? Because you might think, you know, oh, they want my future third, but if you're rebuilding, that might be the 301, which is basically yeah. a second round pick, right? So treat, you know, value those things accordingly based on how you're projecting all these teams. And it does take time and work because you have to constantly be looking through all the rosters in your league. Um, but that's how you gain those little pieces of value here and there. I find on my rebuild teams among, you know, my, my girlfriend makes fun of me. My kids make fun of me. I talk about it with my friends, but I can literally tell you almost the entire roster of, of the teams there. They're like, yo, which team is Joe Mixon on? I'm like, he's on that team, you know, cause I know exactly where they are. And as soon as Joe Mixon gets hurt, I jump to that guy and I'm like, here we go. You know? And we're like, the, the more I do this, the more I play Dynasty, the more I, I, I relate to people in my leagues is being likable and, and, and negotiating and talking is key, right? If, if you act like a pompous jerk, like you're better than somebody else or that you, you know, throw shade at people when you make a trade, they don't want to deal with you anymore. You know, we want to make negotiations fun. We want to make it where it's like, hey, man, like I, I saw Joe Mixon went down. I got a lot of stuff on my team right now. Why don't, why don't you throw me an offer? Who do you like on my team? You know, let's let's have a have a talk have a nice negotiation where both teams feel like they're getting some of out of it and then that works in your favor because there's so many people that come to me and they're like my league doesn't trade and then i'll start talking to them well, well why don't they trade and they'll be like and then they'll start breaking it down right where someone makes fun of the other person because they owned them on a deal or they you know they're going to try to make fun of them because they made a bad offer you know i had that in the league the other day the guy messaged me oh come on man that's that's bush league guess what i'm not dealing with you anymore you know, like you're going to mock me for my my offer. I thought it was pretty close, you know, come back with a counter, but don't mock the other person. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a good life lesson in general, too. I mean, it doesn't matter how offended you are. Just keep it civil because, you know, you never know when those burnt bridges are going to come back to haunt you. Um, I, I tweeted out a trade, I think a few weeks ago in one of my rookie drafts. I was trying to get the 306 because um, I wanted Ramondre Stevenson there. And I, I offered them, and they countered with, I think, the 306 for, like, Dallas Goddard and T. Higgins, right? Um, <laughs> so, you know, uh, a lot of people re replied to my tweet, and they're like, oh, you know, that's ridiculous. Like, I hope you just, like, threw it in his face. And I said, well, we actually got a deal done. Uh, I ended up trading, I think it was, like, two future thirds for the 306 um, because, you know, this guy was just new to Dynasty. He didn't understand... Yeah that Goddard and Higgins are worth first to me. But I just explained that to him, right? And, you know, it, it's all about that communication and kind of talking to those people. You know, sometimes people are newer to Dynasty, and that's okay. We all started somewhere. And then sometimes people think they know it all, right? I think you Everybody and I are pretty... That guy. Right, and I think you and I are pretty smart Dynasty GMs, but I never, you know, reply to trade offers with like, oh, like, this guy's going to go for 1,500 yards, and this is ridiculous, yeah. Right. And whenever I encounter GMs like that, I kind of just check that, you know, put that mental note. And I know some people who keep physical notes on Excel or notepads about their, you know, the other league mates in their dynasty leagues, which is super smart. Um, but basically you say like, oh, OK, well, then you listen to what this guy is saying in the chat a lot, because generally the people who think they're very smart and know they're very smart will always you know, be throwing out their opinions in general. And then when you see something that differs where you're like, like if they say, oh, Devontae Smith is the next Amari Cooper and you think Devontae Smith's nowhere near that. But then when you're on the clock at 106 in Superflex, you make it seem like you're taking Devontae Smith. Right. So <laughs> yeah. it's just a lot of these little gray areas where communication and soft skills are so important. Absolutely. And you transitioned perfectly into step six, right? We, we talked about rookie pep prep, but now it's, Know your league mates. You and I say this all the time. Know their tendencies. 
You know, I wrote down, keep a black book, even if it's just mental, because everybody in your league has a tendency, right? There are some guys I draft with where I know no matter what in the rookie draft, they're taking a running back. Even if they get to the choice between Jalen Waddle and Trey Sermon, they're going to pass up on that wide receiver because they want a running back and that's what they do. And other people, you know, they're always trying to move up and other people are always trying to move back. And the more you play, you see the tendencies, but on the clock is where you can really separate yourself. This is where you put yourself into a situation of rebuilding into dominance, right? Don't rush on the clock. You know, you, you want to stay loose during the process, but you don't need to rush. You don't need to run up and be like, well, it's 102. I got to take this guy, right? And I feel like the more you play Dynasty and the more you realize that, the better you can be. Because in that particular rebuild that I did, I had the 101, you know, and I had I had five firsts, but I had the 101. And in that class, you know, I know the guy that was at 101 or 105 needed a quarterback, absolutely needed a quarterback. And the guy at four was like, there's no way two is getting past me. So we knew Burrow wasn't going to get past him if Tua isn't. So he goes, hey, man, I need, need, need a quarterback. And you got the 101. If they come to you in need, they are hungry, right? If they ever stay it like that, you can kind of gauge it. So for me, I was like, well, I want to move back to the 105. That's fine. Or actually 108. I moved back to the 108. And he's like, I'll give you one first. And I was like, no, man, there's not going to be any quarterbacks there. You know, I don't, I don't want to move to that spot. So I got the 108 and two firsts for the 101 move back into that situation ended up, you know, then I get back to the 108 and that's where CD lamb was. And then I added those extra first, you know, so be patient on the clock. Yeah. I could have taken Joe Burrow. He would have been great for my rebuild, right? Not as great as, you know, CD lamb and two future firsts, which I flipped for Kyler Murray, those two future firsts. So instead of Joe Burrow, now I got CD lamb and Kyler Murray. I mean, that is an absolute smash. If anybody offered that you'd laugh at them. You know, other times stay patient then, right? So you're on the clock. I have five firsts. I'm in a rebuild. Yeah. Yeah. I want to trade up and get Jonathan Taylor. Yeah. I want to trade up and get, you know, all those running backs that were going off the board, but I just sat back. I was patient and we get to a spot where it was 108. I took lamb 109. I took Judy 110. I took Herbert 112. I took Jefferson. And instantly I went from a team that was absolute garbage in that bottom three, like we talked about, to putting myself in a situation where I'm getting out of that. You know, like now we're in a spot where I'm going to be able to build into something pretty nice. So you always got to be able to just, I, I know the more we talk about it, people are less and less likely to move back, right? I mean, I feel like the community has really got onto that, but there's still hungry people that want to move up and, and trade for Najee Harris because he's the guy they think is going to be a difference maker this year, you know, because, we aren't sure if Fields or Lance are going to start. I mean, I love Chase, but we're not sure what he's going to do year one. And there's always that guy that wants to trade up, it's usually me, for Najee Harris in this draft. Yeah, and, you know, I've had multiple jokes or little jabs made at me in uh, actually different leagues uh, in the group chat because my message to the group, um, whenever I'm on the clock, it doesn't matter what the pick is, doesn't matter if I like someone there or not, it's always – yeah, it's always – and I always start with, hey, I got a couple guys I like here, right? Because nobody wants the pick if you say, I don't like anybody here who wants this pick, right? See, so I, I like always that. say – The one thing I hate is who wants Jamar Chase here? You're like, why? No, don't don't name drop. Just I like how you said it. You know, there's a couple guys here I like. And then that starts making them think, what are those guys that he likes? And, and who is he going to take – I need to get in there for those guys. Yeah, I'll never say who I'm taking or what position, but I'll say, you know, I have a couple targets here, but I'm open to moving, you know, the pick. Feel free to send offers, and if not, I'll pick shortly. And it's a, bo it's a broken record because it's almost like I copy and paste that every time I'm on the clock, but it's true. You always want to shop that pick because, um, for example, I think in our Smash Except Listener League, you where I was on the time. clock, I was on the clock at 103, and I knew I was going to take Trey Lance there. Um, because there's no way I thought he should have dropped to 103, especially with people listening to me on this podcast in that league for sure. Uh, but somehow it happened. And, you know, but even so, knowing that I would need a major overpay to, to move off of Trey Lance, who I see as the 101, I'm still shopping that pick because you never know what kind of offers you're going to get. Um, for example, you know, last year at the 103, 
in another super flex league, people took CEH and Jonathan Taylor 101 and 102, and Joe Burrow fell to me. And I knew that was a steal, and I knew I wanted Burrow there, but I still shopped the pick because sometimes you're going to get those overpays where they're like, hey, I'll give you 104 and two firsts, and you know something crazy like that where you always want to be open to that possibility. And you never want to be the guy who milks the draft clock for no reason, but also the clock is there for you, right? If it's eight hours, it's eight hours. So take your time if you actually are talking through deals, if you're waiting for people to respond to offers. The pick is always worth more than the player. You know, you have to be in a situation where it's like the 103, you might have wanted Trey Lance, but there might be three guys in this league and one of them might be a Najee Harris fan. One of them might be a Justin Fields guy and one of them might be, you know what I mean? Like as soon as you make that pick, it's not worth as much to everyone in the league. It's worth as well, much to you and a couple of those people. So it's like you never know who's going to jump in there where they might say, I'm going to give you 104 plus a first to move up to 103. Yeah, but I will say, you know, don't be afraid to overpay. If you get sniped in a rookie draft, but you really like that guy and you see that as, you know, a clear target of yours, for example, a few years back, uh, Patrick Mahomes went a little bit earlier than I thought in one league, and I really wanted him. Um, I thought that he was going to be the next great quarterback, uh, which he ended up being. But I, I can't remember who it was. I think it was like Tyrod Taylor. So he got taken at the 107 in a league. Um, and you know he wasn't hyped up coming out as a rookie. So I was thinking maybe there's a chance that they would take the 108 Tyrod Taylor and two second-round picks the future, and they did. Right. And to me, you know, I knew that was an overpay going in, but I also didn't love my options at 108. So, again, you know, we break down trades based on value, but don't be afraid to lose a trade if you're trying to dump a player you really don't like or if you're trying to get a player that you really believe in. And I feel like when it comes to we're, we're really starting to open up here, you know, like the halfway point, it was like, yo, let's start rolling this, you know, like rebuilds are my thing. And then Mung's like, you know, I got, I don't really got a lot. Of go- yeah, all right, let's do it. You know, because you, you, when it comes to trades, that's what you and I are passionate about. And step seven is where it gets fun. So step seven is time to refine those teams into contention, right? So that team that I had that went 0-14, that looked like the most disgusting thing you've ever seen on paper, went 11-3 and after one year, won me the ship, and now my team looks like this. Justin Herbert, Kyler Murray, DK Metcalf, A.J. Brown, Calvin Ridley, Christian McCaffrey, Antonio Gibson. You know, you just you, – you, you do all the steps. You work your way the whole way through. And I feel like it's a fun process as long as you can assess those teams. Like we said in step one, assess your teams, know what's going on. You know, move yourself into a situation where you know what you're doing. Step two, you know, we're talking about that roster construction and, and knowing how to get that one-on-one. Step three, you know, start to look at how things look on your team and how you can move into that. Step four – Get that splash trade. We talk about that. That is the one that I feel like I push so much when people ask me about the rebuild. Make the splash trade. Make yourself commit. And then go into step five, move them vets. Get as much liquid value as possible because they can drop off. Step six, rookie prep. You better believe 2022, we're going to be ready to help you guys out again. I know not every rookie draft is done in 2021, so keep hitting us up with those things. But, I mean, that is that is huge. You can make or break your team when it comes to rookie drafts and then refine those rosters, you know, put it into a spot into contention. And it's fun. It's fun rebuilding a team. You get, you know, you're a lot more active. You get to know your league mates better. And I know I I get passionate on a lot of the different podcasts, but when I talk about rebuilding, I talk about trades, I get excited. But when I talk about rebuild trades, I get stoked. Like I just love it. So um, Mung, any more closing thoughts or anything else about rebuild process before we close it out? Yeah, I got a few more crazy ramblings here. Um, (laughs) I think one is, you know, neither you or I are avid, you know, film grinders where we do our due diligence, but we're not experts like Matt Waldman and, you know, Angelo, where we can break down the exact movements of their hip and their leg and how good this prospect's going to be. But trading is a skill in and of itself, right? There's a reason that we're successful as Dynasty GMs, um, because even if you miss on a prospect, you know how to flip them. And you know how to move on to liquid assets and how to make up for those misses. And then number two, you know, I, I think the mantra that I have is that the worse and uglier that your dynasty roster looks as a rebuilding team, the better it's going to look when you're done rebuilding. So don't try and like force it where 
some teams go two and two and they they went into the season wanting to rebuild and they're like well maybe i can make a run and then that's how you kind of total that rebuild and you know then you have to start from you know square one in another year right um like i won't brag too much but the the team that i kept talking about this entire show right it was the startup year last year one of the many covid quarantine startups i'm sure that are out there and i never want to punt year one i always want to win now but players were just you know giving up too much value to get those win now pieces so i ended up punting year one and again i had a hobbled joe burrow with a torn acl right i moved for um a broken ankle dak prescott right and i moved all of my shiny toys except patrick mahomes because i would never sell patrick mahomes except for a huge overpay but you know that's a team that i ended up with like three firsts i think five second round picks and those guys who ended up into trey lance trevor lawrence um i got rashad bateman trey sermon and that's with the other pieces that i kept from the original roster and those are you know really again the uglier and more uncomfortable you are making a rebuild trade where you're like i don't want to lose this guy you know, that's when you kind of know you're going in the right direction. Yeah, because when you're losing, you're winning, right? And uh, it's more fun drafting that way. My buddy Jason Waldo, he had 18 picks in the first three rounds this year, and he did your thing. He shopped every single one, and now he's got like six, you know, first and seconds next year because he just – people wanted to pay up. But it's like – it's a fun experience doing it that way. And, and, uh, Mung, you hit the nail on the head. I said it in episode two. I'm not the film guy. You know, I'm not that guy, but when it comes to trades and you're the same way, we can help you guys out with that, you know, and you guys can find us on Twitter. I'm at dynasty underscore dad FF. Yeah. And you guys can find me at FFA underscore Mung. That's M E N G. Thanks again for tuning in and enjoy the process. Boom.